Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast brought to you by FamilyVisionMedia.org. Check us out every night from 8 to 11 p.m. Central on Stacy on the Right on Sirius XM, Patriot Channel 125. Today, we have Mary Vogt. She is a fellow with Independent Women's Forum, one of my favorite groups, by the way. Their website is IWF.org, IWF.org. And I'm so glad to have you here today, Mary. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. All right, so let's dig into this. We have Stacey Abrams, who is actually the queen of all media, the queen of all get out the vote, the queen of (laughs) not conceding an election while still conceding an election, um, the queen of commenting on things that she has no expertise in, like responding to the State of the Union when President Trump was in office. This is a woman who can shoehorn herself into situations where the rest of us, we just couldn't have access, yet there she is. And she was at a school visiting kids. Um, it's a marketing ploy, in my opinion, to make her seem more friendly and more personable and to take the the tough edge that she has off. And in the picture, she's sitting on the floor, mask-free, smiling, while all of the children have their faces covered right up to the bottom eyelashes, like whole face covered. And the picture went viral because it just was such a stark reminder that Democrats are oppressing America's children. Um, what did you make of it? Absolutely. Yes. I mean, it seems like the last few weeks, not a single day goes by that we haven't seen a Hollywood elite actor or some special interest politician, elected official, who's not following the same rules that they have put into place for the people beneath them. And it's absolutely ridiculous. And her response to the whole thing when people called out her hypocrisy was basically that individuals were attacking her because of race. And that was her response. I mean, you at this point, you cannot make this stuff up. All at the expense of our children. It's, it's it's horrific. It is. And I think one of the, the other parts about it that is so upsetting is parents feel kind of powerless. And I've been kind of screaming a little bit, but mostly just trying to repetitively remind people that the public schools are owned, lock, stock, and barrel, every doorknob, everything in the building, save the personal items that people bring inside all owned by taxpayers because it is property tax and state and local and federal tax and um, you you name it, even grants and and partnerships with private organizations, all fund public school. So the primary driver is, of course, property tax. And that means every person who lives in the district, whether they have children or not, whether their children are in private school or they're homeschooled, those school buildings and the maintenance of them and the expansions of the land and the salaries of the teachers and the custodians all paid for by taxpayers. So this idea that parents keep saying, I want to have a say or I want to have input. Why would you say you want It's as if you're asking permission. Why would you not say it is my responsibility to ensure that this public education institution is doing the right thing by these children and to simply demand that masks are optional no questions asked. The school board actually doesn't have the right to defy the will of voters who are their actual constituents. That is exactly right, 100%. They work for us. We do not work for them. That is the truth. And adults, adults have a responsibility to protect children from adult-sized anxieties in this world. I mean, that's the truth of it. And when it came to covid We did not do that. The American people, we did not do that. We failed our children in this country when it came to that because we allowed government bureaucrats, school board officials, teachers, 
people of that sort to make decisions regarding their mental health, their minds, their well-being, and we, we, we allow them to have that control. And so what we've seen here, particularly in Virginia, where I live, is that Governor Youngkin's campaign was really built on that movement of parents trying to take back that parental control and say, hey, wait a minute, I want to determine what my kids are being taught. I want to determine if my kid has to wear a mask or not to school. And they were just really sick of the we know better than you attitude that we've seen not just in Virginia, but across this country from these bureaucrats. Yeah, it's been it's been so instructive for the rest of the country to kind of see what's going on in Virginia. And then I know down in uh, South Lake, Texas, they had an entire school board resign under pressure from parents. And, you know, so there have been a few bright spots. And Virginia is definitely one. And and an unexpected one, Mary, because I have to tell you, uh, my parents and my sister live in Springfield and Woodbridge. And it has become so left-oriented there. And, you know, Family differences aside, it's not just that you know it's voting blue. It's that you can see the difference. Like we've been going there for over 20 years since my parents first moved there and then they moved overseas and then moved back. And so I've seen the change in the Springfield, um, like that that suburban area, and then the whole metro area that encompasses that swath of, of Virginia it goes right down into basically the heart of the nation's capital. And, you know, you have Crystal City, you have all of that going out that way. And it has changed. I mean, you know, when we're there, we're invariably at the Costco or the Sam's Club, we're at the grocery store, you know, we're at the Wegmans. Mm-hmm. And I've noticed yeah. the change in demographics, um, the change in like, there's all these foreign uh religious service places there now, like uh, right in the heart of a neighborhood, you'll be driving down the street, a suburban street with like, you know, trees and sidewalks and whatnot. And then all of a sudden there's like a Hindu temple or a mosque. I mean, a big one, like right in the middle Mm -hmm. of the neighborhood. That's not, well, that's, I mean, I can't say it's not normal, but it's not the way it was in Springfield. So they've changed, but this was a reversal and it was universal. It was like a lot of people who are, um, you know, it doesn't matter what faith tradition you practice. You can be a Muslim. You can be, um, you know, practicing Hindu or Buddhism or what have you and still believe that what was going on in the schools was utterly wrong and unacceptable. And I think it was that coalition of people who were like, you know what, politics doesn't matter here. We have to do something about the kids that made the changes in Virginia. Absolutely right. I think you're right. I think when a lot of individuals were locked into their homes, forced to do Zoom and schooling, in their homes, they were starting to get clued in and see a lot of the material that their kids were being taught in public schools. And, you know, red flags went up. They're like, hold on a second. I've raised my children to love all individuals, regardless of their skin color. Like, what are you teaching them? What are, what are they learning? And so that just really infuriated a lot of parents, a lot of mothers to friends of mine who haven't ever been engaged in politics at all that were just like, wow, I am my one child's advocate. If I don't speak up, who will? And really started educating themselves on the issues, started going to these school board meetings, and started speaking out. And it was that frustration that really fueled this movement. And Youngkin, you know, he, you know, he, like, poured his campaign, like, was built off of that. He saw the frustration from the parents. And, you know, there was that infamous debate with Terry McAuliffe where he made that gaffe where he basically said that parents shouldn't be concerned about what their kids are being taught in 
school. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> we pay teachers' salaries. You've worked for us. You're telling us that we can't have a say or shouldn't be concerned as to what you're teaching our children? Are you serious? Like, I take motherhood very seriously. I believe one day I will be held accountable before God as to how I raise oh, my children. Come and- on. I'm sorry to interject, but that's to me that, well, that's when I know I'm, in, I'm speaking to a sisterhood in the faith because yes, that is something that yes. I still to this day, I think back and I'll go, oh, Lord, you know, we should have done X. And I know in that moment, he says that ah, regret is a sin. I don't, I don't want you regretting. Pray about what yes. you're concerned with and move forward. But I do take that so seriously, the idea that I'm not just going to, he's not just going to talk to me about my personal thoughts and the things that I have going on. He's also going to say, Look at these three arrows I gave you. And, you know, you you did what you, you taught them in scripture, you brought them to Christ, you discipled them. And so, you know, good job. That's what I want to hear. And I know it's not perfect. It cannot be perfect if I'm involved. But I know exactly. that I can I can hold that thought in my mind and it helps me. It basically keeps me within the lines because without that thought, you know, you can kind of throw, well, you know, it probably isn't that bad if they read that. Well, you know what? I don't actually have time like my friend Jane to go to all these meetings. So I'm just going to leave it to her and, you know, trust that she, even though she doesn't believe the same things that I believe and she's not a Christian, I'm going to trust her to kind of manage the school issues because I, I need to, I need to work and make sure we can, you know, go on our third vacation this year. I need to work and make sure this or that. And it's that idea that God is watching over our behavior with these kids that keeps you in within the boundaries. And it's so exciting when I meet someone who also believes that because it's, it, yeah. that's gone by the wayside, Mary. Yeah, that's absolutely true. My youngest daughter, she has um, cystic fibrosis. It's a life-threatening genetic disorder. And when she was diagnosed in the womb and we knew that she was going to be born with CF, we really studied and did as much as we could to understand the therapeutics and the medicine. And I thought the hardest hurdle with being her mother was that I was going to have to get her to comply with these treatments and physical therapy and medication. And it still blows my mind to this day that the biggest hurdle is that I am her voice. I have to be her advocate. I have to fight insurance companies and doctors and healthcare professionals continually because I have to stand up for her. And I had I had to find myself continually saying, no, I don't want her on that medicine. Like, this is what happened last time. Let's try something different. Or no, I think she needs to rest at this point. Let's not do this treatment. And that really shocked me. And it it's true for education and it's true for all aspects of their lives and that we have to stand up for them because the harm that they are experiencing right now is so great. We are going to be dealing with it for decades to come, unfortunately. And thank God for some of these parents and individuals like you, Stacey, who have been talking about this issue for so long and who have really been giving a voice to people to be able to, you know, intelligently, compassionately and kindly stand up for their children and for their future. And thank you for saying that. I I feel like, you know, it's it's very encouraging when I know, okay, I'm I'm on the right path. And it does help other parents when they hear someone like yourself, you know, saying what you said. And then also when you speak about the difficulties of advocating, you know it's tough and you kind of are going in kind of almost, you know, putting your head down, pulling your your hood over your head, <laughs> saying, okay, <laughs> and leaning in. But then as time goes on, it does get easier to advocate for your child for whatever the, the situation might be. It, it does get easier. You kind of get used to it and it becomes more routine. And then you find 
groups of other parents who are advocating and you can kind of draw strength from each other. Um, but as a woman of faith, you know where our ultimate power source is. And that is what I encourage people. If you're in a situation where you have an extra difficult time of advocating for your child, that's even more reason for you to rely on the strength that comes from knowing Christ. Get in your Bible, find some scriptures. It's never been easier. I don't even know what it must have been like 100 years ago when a person said, you know what, I really need to find scriptures on uh, perseverance. Well, you had to go through and look everyone up individually. Now I just type in my search bar, scriptures on perseverance, and all of them come up, 100 links. I can go through each one and decide which one has the best, most appropriate scriptures print them off and read them all around. Or I can create a home button on my phone and it will take me, I can call it scriptures for perseverance and it'll take me to that page so I can carry them around with me on my phone and meditate on them when I feel overwhelmed. So I just encourage people, take advantage of the fact that we live in this beautiful modern society and we can actually find 100 scriptures on um, following through. That's the one I just recently printed out. I'm telling on myself, but if this helps someone, it's worth I typed in, what does the Bible say about finishing what you start? (laughs) And one of the ones that came up is a hundred scriptures on finishing what you start. So I printed them all out. (laughs) It's front and back. It's, it's kind of thick. And I started meditating on it And, and I've already been so much more productive. I'm literally like, I, that's all I had to do. And I know God has to be laughing at me going, yes, that's all you have to do. Just Give it to me, and I'm going to help you get it done. So, you wrote something. I, I want to. I want to get to that too. Over at um, Washington Post, yes, yeah, you wrote an article. Um, Arlington schools are wrong to buck Youngkin's mask policy, and I'm linking that in the show notes, especially for our listeners who are subscribers to the Washington Post. You can actually click through and get this article. It's fantastic. You are talking about Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin, Republican. Um, ignoring the seven school districts that are so angry at him for his making masks optional. Um, So you can still wear a mask. You just can't be forced to wear it if the parents don't say it's okay. Um, Now, there are 227 school districts in Virginia, and so it's only seven of them that are losing their minds over this. But it is interesting that they're pushing back so hard. Do you think it's really about masks or is it about control? It's exactly, that's exactly it. It has never been since the very beginning of this pandemic. It has never been about the well-being of our children. It has always been about politics, about power, and about government control. And that is extremely troubling. Listen, with Governor Glenn Youngkin's executive order, he did exactly what he promised to do. All he did was give parental control back to the parents. And like you said, any parent that wants their child to still continue to wear a mask at school is allowed to under the executive order. Yet there are these liberal counties that are absolutely losing their mind. I got some of the nastiest messages and DM'd to me for writing this op-ed. And, you know, one individual said, Mary, when did you start speaking for all parents? <laughs> you know, and I did, I don't ever really respond to any of them, but this one I did. And I said, when government bureaucrats started taking away their rights, that's when they started speaking for them. So, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a good answer. Good answer. Uh, yeah, you can't make it up. It's absolutely ludicrous. So let's, and, and I think the thing that is kind of driving me a little nuts so about this is that um, I see the videos, like they're on Instagram and there are other places and they're viral videos and there'll be someone who is, um, 
you know, kind of a heavy set person with a mask on screaming at a person who is walking around mask free. And we all know that the cloth masks, the CDC has now admitted that the cloth masks do nothing to prevent the spread of COVID-19. They do make you feel like you're doing something. They are a huge virtue signal, um, but they're not actually preventing the 0.01 micron particle size COVID-19 virus of any variant from passing from you to another person if you are in, you know, within proximity to each other. So it's not passing across the entire, you know, grocery store if you're in there. But if you're close to someone, you know, you can breathe in there, exhale and and possibly catch COVID-19. So um, the CDC has admitted that, that that's not the case. So what is the reason, uh, in your opinion, why we see so many people screaming at other people in public about not wearing a mask when they're double or triple masked themselves, and we know that the masks don't actually work. Exactly. I mean, at this point, it's really become a personal identity for so many individuals, and they've just latched onto it. I mean, we saw in Arlington and in Virginia, there were teachers who were very open about denying access to other students to their classroom if they refused to wear a mask. And there were some kids that were even suspended for not wearing a mask at school. And it's, it's at this point, it's become a religion for some individuals. It's become their identity. The pandemic brought out a lot of anxieties in people. And when you don't have your faith in Christ, and when you put your identity maybe in your political party or some ideology, we see these start these things to start to unravel. And it's unfortunate. There's a lot of anger that humans are carrying around and they're deciding to take it out on other humans. And again, all of this, as we've seen at the education level, is really at the expense of our children and their future. And it's it's extremely, it's, it's sad and it, it is also extremely terrifying. Well, it is, but it is also, I think, instructive for us. Um, this is a time where people who have, uh, you know, not had to stand up for things, They've maybe been able to kind of run under the radar. They've, you know, voted Republican. They go to church, but their neighbors don't know what they believe. And this is a time where we've kind of been given a dividing line and we have to get on Mm -hmm. one side or the other. We can't stand silently straddling it. We can't stand silently on one side or the other because both sides are requiring some kind of announcement, some kind of definitive statement. Um, Because I I personally, I believe in the science. I don't believe Fauci is science, but I believe in actual science. I believe in updating Mm -hmm. information as we get it. So if you're wrong, you can update. I I don't believe government agencies are infallible or that they don't make mistakes, but I do believe they owe it to us to update their their information if they have discovered an error. Um, I also believe that in the end, I'm responsible for getting my vitamin D levels up, being the right body mass index, you know, if I'm, I'm, yeah. I've actually lost quite a bit of weight under kind of the pressure of knowing that COVID attacks people who are obese. And so I'm like, well, am I obese? Well, does it really matter? This is the weight I should be. This is the weight I am. I'm going to get there. And just making that decision took a lot of fear out of what COVID is and what it does. But I, I notice a lot of people aren't willing to do that. They're not willing to acknowledge that they're overweight or that they have diabetes or other comorbidities, that they need to get those comorbidities taken care of if possible to lessen the chance that COVID-19 would have a negative impact on them. Instead, they want to focus on masks and the therapeutic shot that does not prevent you from catching COVID-19. So there's a there's a I think there's been an, an awakening. We've gotten to see things we didn't know before. And it does feel sad and a little frightening 
But it also feels like kind of the masks have been ripped off, you know, to kind of to stick with our theme here with masking. They've been ripped off. And now we know a lot more about our neighbors and the people in government and even the CDC. Like I've never felt so they're so exposed right now. They just they have no room for any kind of like they can't look down on Americans because they've been so horribly wrong this whole time. That's exactly right. You know, a lot of individuals, they didn't they they like put off their annual checkup or, you know, going to the doctor for some routine thing. And so we've seen how the lockdowns have hurt individuals, how they're, they put their health at jeopardy because they were too fearful or too scared to go to see a doctor about some very basic things where they could have, you know, maybe caught the cancer earlier or could have started a treatment that could have helped them. So this really has, you know, it has put an emphasis on our health and our own responsibility to take that seriously to not only our physical health, but our mental health and ensuring that our children are well and that they're healthy. And there really is such a big responsibility, I feel like, for the church in America to, you know, not be pushing this fear, not to allowing this fear to fester and just cowering and just believing every little thing that the government around you tells you. You have a responsibility to look into it yourself for your family, to research to read the data, to make decisions, and to not live your life by fear, exactly what you were saying. It's so, so, so important for our families, our well-being, and really for, for the future of our country. It is. And so that leads me to the biggest gaffe and also the biggest, like, I think they'll be teaching this one in comms classes, and, and uh, at least in, in colleges, probably your first level comms class. And that is Stacey Abrams, who is known for being, um, basically, she's she's almost everything politically that you would want in an activist because she's tireless, she's relentless, and she's been very successful in Georgia after losing her first run at the gubernatorial office there. But she was at a school visiting some kiddos, and she didn't have the mask on, and every kid in the room did. And it was so tone deaf that the backlash was immediate, and especially from her own side. So she deleted the image and the tweet, but it wasn't good enough and it continued to go viral. And so apparently she's fired her head comms person. And I still don't think that's enough, but it, it highlights the hypocrisy on the Democrat side about these masks. It's even it's, it's just as bad as what we see in schools. Only um, the virality of it comes from her being so famous for her gubernatorial run, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes. A lot of elite Hollywood individuals and elected officials, we've really their true colors have been shown during this pandemic. There's been a lot of rules for the but not for me type situation where we see them out at baseball games or sporting events or galas or concerts. And parents are sitting back thinking, wait, my kid is stuck in a chair for an entire school day with a mask or two glued to their face. They can't breathe clean air and they're coming home with rashes on their face. And yet you, an elite individual, are allowed to just walk around with no mask on. This makes absolutely no sense at all. And so that really is fueling a lot of the anger and frustration that parents are seeing and feeling because they're protective of their children. They want the best for their children. And they, you know, kids are smart. They notice these things, too. They notice football stadiums full of individuals that are watching a game with no mask on. And then they're asking themselves, wait, why do I have to have a mask on to sit at a desk an entire day? It, it, it's very maddening. Yeah, it, it is. It really, it hurts. Um, it hurts their sense of fairness and kids have an acute sense of what's fair. And oftentimes it is our job as adults to tell them, well, life isn't fair, which immediately you see in their eyes, they're kind of like, you know, you're saying 
mom and dad don't love you. That they, It's the equivalent of that when you f- first tell yeah. a child that life isn't fair. But then they begin to understand what you mean. And so they then want in their very childish minds and hearts to be fair themselves, to kind of do their part, basically knowing that life isn't fair. And so this kills that desire in children because they have a sense of doom that is associated with the mask wearing. And I know that because I felt it before. I have actually thought to myself, I'm going to this, you know, doctor's appointment or, you know, with our, with our son or something. And then I realized we're going to be there for hours and I'm going to have to wear a mask the whole time. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to wear a mask for five hours. And then I immediately begin to mentally negotiate, like, how can I have some breathing time? I start thinking through what I can do to have some time where I can breathe. And I'm a grown woman. So I can't imagine what the kids have been going through. And also the fact that you can't understand what people are saying. I read an article, a teacher was saying that kids are just giving up. You ask them, what did you say? Or I'm sorry, I didn't understand you. And so they stop raising their hand because they don't want to have to repeat themselves over and over again. They stop listening because they can't understand what the teacher is saying because the teacher is masked. They lose interest in school and being there and participating. And we've had a massive dropout that is not being discussed in the media, especially of high school students, because their parents are at work. And they're kind of like, well, what's the point of me going there when I can't be heard? Uh, no one, I can't understand what anyone's saying. And also, there's a lot of substitute teachers because the teachers' unions are allowing their staff to stay home, you know, quote unquote, mm-hmm. to keep themselves safe. So this is a yeah. it, like the carnage is still unmeasured on this. It's really sad, and you know, we've seen with younger children with disabilities or who have issues with speech therapy, they're even more delayed because they're not able to watch a human's mouth move. That's how we learn to speak, right? Like we watch our parents' mouth move and how it forms word and creates things. And so we're just really setting our children so much further back. Um, it, it's just it's detrimental to their education. And so, like you said, they're they're embarrassed about having to repeat a question. They can't understand what the individual is saying. So instead of engaging or being involved and learning more in a classroom setting, they're withdrawing. And, you know, we've seen a rise in mental health and suicide attempts and depression amongst youth and children. And this is something that government bureaucrats put in place. This is something that adults who are supposed to protect children from these very adult-sized anxieties, it's something that we're causing and we're placing on them. And, you know, like you've said before, this is something that we're going to see probably for years to come, unfortunately, the aftermath of this and the burdens and the anxieties and the nerves and things that we place on our children that should not be placed on children. <laughs> so, <laughs> Mary, I agree with you, but I'm kind of giggling a little bit because, and this story is also linked in the show notes of tonight's podcast. So don't, don't, you can laugh too. Um, okay. <laughs> so you have Catherine McPhee, who was bashing Stacey Abrams for not wearing a mask in the photo. And what I'm laughing at is that her response, Stacey Abrams' response was um, that she says it's shameful that our opponents are using Black History Month reading event for Georgia children as the impetus for a false political attack. Why is she mentioning Black History Month? What does this have to do with Black History Month, her not wearing the mask? She was there for the event that's, that's basically for Black History Month. But the issue is her not wearing a mask. It has nothing to do with Black History Month. And it feels to me like... Um, it's like a crutch she's using. Well, I'm black and you can't criticize me because I'm black. And also it's Black History Month. So stop criticizing me. That's not going to fly. 
Exactly, exactly. Her response was completely laughable. She started playing the race card. That was her response, as opposed to, I'm sorry, you're right. I should have wore a mask. Um, you know, she fired her comms director, like you mentioned earlier. That wasn't enough. I mean, you really cannot make this up. She just started playing the race card, and she said that we were taking away from Black History Month. Like, what? No, we. if you want to talk <laughs> about Black History Month and education and teaching our children, parents have been sounding an alarm about this during the entire pandemic. Like, <laughs> but you haven't been listening. So, yeah, it's. It's pretty crazy to see how this whole entire thing went down. It's, she just definitely seems very out of touch, very inconsiderate. And I just, I feel so bad for those children. Like my heart breaks for them. They're just sitting down there next to her, masked up. And it's it's just sad. It's just really sad. And some of them, to their credit, because they're kids, they are smiling. Like, like the, they're they're smiling. You can see their eyes are crinkled. You know, they're, they're, yeah. their little faces are smiling behind the mask. And they just thought, oh, it's someone cool who's coming to read us stories. And kids love to hear stories read by someone who's not their normal person because they're hoping to get a little, a little, you know, joke or a little inflection in the voice that makes the story even better. So they're always interested in that. But I, I do feel like when they get home, you know, and think about it later on that night or maybe even later that day, they probably did notice, well, she didn't have a mask on and we did. They do notice things like that. And so it is important for us to, we, we have to get back to the business of remembering that children are sponges and they're also like uh, little YouTube cameras. They record everything. And that's how, we, the reason we know that is because they will be in the back seat saying things that they've heard us say. Um, they will just literally be repeating our words verbatim. And so that's how we know yeah. they've heard it and it's gone in and it's kind of settled in and then they're pushing it back out because they think this is the appropriate way to respond. And so it's really cute when they hear you hear them say something that you said that was good. Not so cute when you hear them mimicking <laughs> something you said out of frustration or anger and they're like yeah. using that on their sibling. So we don't want them to think at some point that they can do the same thing. Well, when I'm in charge, I can make these people do this because they, they don't have any agency. They can't, they can't fight me back. They don't vote. But for me, I'll have a different set of rules because I want to live that way. And we already see what that looks like with Gavin Newsom. He's a rules for thee, not for me person. Uh, yeah. Prime Minister Trudeau up in Canada, same thing. Nancy Pelosi, even Arnold Schwarzenegger. He believes in one thing for everyone else, climate control. And for himself, it's private jets and everything else. So we know that this kind of behavior, when demonstrated to children, it will just give all of these kids in the classroom the idea that when they're grown up and in charge, they can do the same thing. And we don't want that. Yeah, that's not good for society. That's exactly right. I mean, so many of these kids have already been through so much. I mean, maybe their parent lost a job during the pandemic because their business was forced to be closed. Um, church were closed for many individuals. It was illegal for them to gather together in a church on Sunday. Parks closed. So many kids in California, they went and put police tape around the playground equipment. They were told that they cannot go out to the park. I mean, these kids have suffered so much. And that that's exactly right. We cannot allow this to happen again in society. We need to do everything that we can to protect them. We need to fight for their health, their physical health, their mental health, their well-being. And we really do need to stand up like we're seeing with a lot of these um, truckers for freedom across the country. They're standing up to tyranny. They're saying, no, this is not how it's going to be. You can't force us to do something that we don't want to do. That's against our freedom and against our liberty. And we're going to stand up and we're going to join together and we're going to oppose this. And so hopefully 
the parents standing up to the bureaucrats and education and things that maybe our children have watched us do. Hopefully they'll remember that and that will encourage them. And, you know, in another time in history, if this gets tried again, hopefully that will give them the courage to speak up and to say something and to fight back because we just, we cannot allow this to happen again. Absolutely. I'm so glad that you're out there, Mary, not just with Independent Women's Forum, but writing on these issues. I I think, you know, it may not have felt like it at the moment when you were being criticized, but when you're writing an op-ed for a huge lefty organization and, and someone in your world says, hey, do you think you're speaking for all of us? And you come back strongly with your reaction to that and you continue on. It's such a huge game changer because when people see you, they think, oh, you know, that's that's her child's mom or that's so-and-so's wife or, you know, she helps out with this or that. Oh, she also writes for a major news organization. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so it changes the behavior of people. They are a little bit more circumspect, which in today's world, we could use that. Like, I almost wish we had someone writing for major newspapers on the right side of politics in every school district in America, because things would certainly shape up a little bit if people knew this could end up in a column. I, I need to make sure I'm being fair and equitable and treating people with respect. So uh, great job doing that. And I hope you just keep on going strong. Thank you, Stacy, And thank you, honestly, for everything that you do, just the way you explain issues with such grace and grit and determination. I just like you're an encouragement to so many people. So thank you for that. Oh, thanks. I, I really appreciate it. So I look forward to speaking to you again. I'm so glad that we were able to get together. Um, let's let's close this thing out. Thank you so much for being here. And I just want to give one more shout out to Mary Vote, fellow at Independent Women's Forum. You can go to IWF.org and find out more. Uh, check the links in today's podcast in the show notes. You can find everything we discussed and you can even follow her on Twitter. All right. Until next time.